0: Uh, This is the prophet Isaiah's commission from God to go out. Starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and be healed the next reading's in John 12 chapter oh, chapter 12 <laughs> verse 37 Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts... So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say.
1: Good day, everyone. Hey, I'm Dan. Good to be with you. And uh, just to say it up front, uh, no, my wrist is fine. I'm just, I'm trying to start a new trend. Um, I'm always ready to rollerblade. And uh, you should be too. So let's bring it in, everybody. Um, No, a serious heads up. I, um, like a rookie, didn't charge my iPad enough. So we'll just see how we go tonight. And um, I've brought my laptop. So we might have a little... Little um, break in the middle, and I'll run up and grab that. Hopefully, it'll be fine. Um, Let's pray. (laughs) We need to pray. Oh, Father God, uh, we thank you that we've just heard you speak to us, and we thank you that as we've heard tonight, you are a God who saves. And we pray that uh, you would be saving. We pray that you would be helping us to see you and your wisdom and your goodness clearly. And we pray you would do a mighty work among us tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, have you ever asked the question, why doesn't God make Himself clearer? If God really wants to be known, if that's what He's on about, if that's what He desires, why doesn't He just make it abundantly clearer than He has? There's so many people who don't trust in Jesus, we do need to plant churches like we've seen videos, why doesn't God, why has God done it like that? Why hasn't He made Himself clearer? What we've seen in in the book of John is, the big thing is about people coming to believe in Jesus. You count up the word belief, the amount of times it's in the book and it's massive. Uh, It's all about people coming to believe in Jesus, to come to know God as Father, that we'd be known by Him as His children. And so if that's what God's on about, why hasn't He done more? Why has He done it this way? Uh, some, sometimes people have suggested, and maybe you've thought this as well, that uh, if God showed up today in front of me and did some massive miracle, then I could believe in Him, then I'd believe. Um, you know, and then someone could just take a, a cheeky little snap and put it on socials and it would all be done, case closed, we know that God's there, we'd all believe and it would be simple, that's a, a simple way to do it. Um, you know, why doesn't He pierce the sky? And in a big, loud, booming voice, speak to all the world and say, guys I'm here, believe in me, surely that would convince more people. So why has God done things the way He has? The way, and if we're honest, sometimes when we think of the way God has done things, His ways seem strange to us. Have a think about this with me, why have Jesus come so long ago? At a time when none of us were there. So, if we want to believe in Jesus, we've got to, well, we don't, we don't get to see Jesus, we've got to look here and why have the crucifixion, this brutal, horrendous act, why have that be so central to Christianity? Why have it so central to coming to understand God? The miracles of Jesus, these can go either way, I reckon. Some people, they think, yeah, if, if the miracles just happened in front of me today, then I could believe and it'd be sweet. But other people, because of a, a philosophical naturalism, they think, no, 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 the miracles are the thing that make me not want to investigate because that's silly and surely that couldn't have happened. And on top of all that, it's the Bible, a book written eons ago, that this, this is our access to coming to believe. and this book, it's ancient, it's 2,000 years old and there's stories in it that sound like myths that are made up and it's really long. (laughs) Why not just make it simple and plain and clear? Have you seen those, um, those Joe Biden Insta reels where the poor bloke is trying his best to communicate and make things clear and it just comes out as utter gibberish? Have you seen those? Man, I could waste my life watching videos of that. To some people, the notion that Christianity is the way to find God, it's just, what? Why not make it simpler? Why not make it clear? This is so complicated. Making them wonder, if God is there, why doesn't He just turn up? And I reckon for us who do believe, if we're honest, uh, sometimes we have similar thoughts. When we're questioned about our faith or we have to be open and honest about the fact that we're Christians with people, do you ever feel embarrassed that you have to say that you believe that what the Bible says about God is true? That it's this way that God has revealed Himself and this way alone? Why has God revealed Himself this way particularly? If God really is to be found in the person of Jesus, in Christianity, Why doesn't He make Himself clearer that more might believe? Well, tonight's passage makes that clear for us. There is a really good reason that God has acted the way He has. And what we're going to see tonight is that the problem is not in God and His ways and His plans. In fact, the way God has chosen to work is a way which meets our deepest need. Now there is still mystery, there's going to be mystery here tonight, no doubt about that. But what God has revealed about His plans, shows God to be incredibly gracious and wise. And so, my hope tonight is that this passage will build our confidence, build our confidence in God, that we might have confidence in our belief in Jesus, that we might then be able to share our faith more deeply and confidently as well. So that's where we're heading and the way I want to do that is I want to show you how God has deliberately worked, how, just how deliberately God has worked to reveal Himself and bring us to faith in both the life and ministry of Jesus and the death of Jesus. Got that? That's the shape of tonight. And so first, God's deliberate work in the life and ministry of Jesus... Our passage tonight, chapter 12, verse 37, this is kind of the the hinge point in all of John, it marks the final concluding remarks on Jesus' ministry and in verse 44 to the end, gives something of a, I think, what's a summary of Jesus' preaching ministry. And what we've had is chapters 1 to 12 have covered the first three years of Jesus' ministry and now, verse 37, We reach the end point, the culmination of His ministry, and verse 37 tells us what He's been doing. Have a look there with me, verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs, now, we'll get to the second half of the verse later, but notice this, what's Jesus been doing for three years, for 12 chapters? He's been performing so many signs in people's presence, witnesses. He's been doing these miraculous displays of power. But notice, um, John doesn't call them miracles, we've, ta- we've touched on this, he doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs, because in doing the mini- these displays of power, Jesus has been showing something, revealing something, making something clear. And so, what's he been doing? Come back to chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 11, where Jesus does his first sign, the turning of water into wine, and John tells us what was going on as Jesus did this thing. So, verse, chapter 2, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which He revealed His glory. What's He doing as He does these displays of power? He's, he's pointing to His glory, revealing His glory. And if you were to flick back one more chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, you'd see that as He came... He revealed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The point? Jesus did all these signs for three years, miraculous displays of power, pointing to the fact that He is God's glorious Son, the one sent from God, the one who God has been working in and through. But, Throughout the course of Jesus' ministry, it wasn't only His signs, there was more to it that revealed all of this. So, jump back to chapter 12 now, where we see that the very presence of Jesus here on earth, walking around, doing what He was doing, was a revelation of God because of who He was, the relation between Jesus as the Son to the Father, such that Jesus, this man incarnate with flesh, walking around for three years, whatever, wherever he went, God was, <laughs> because he was God in the flesh. And so, to see Jesus was to see God in flesh, and to hear Jesus was to hear the words spoken of by God. And so, have a look, verse 44 with me, 1244, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes should stay in darkness. So to see Jesus was to see the Father who sent him. Why? Because the Son of God is the Word of God, the image of God. He shares an identity of being with the Father. And so where he goes, the Father goes, so to speak. The Father and the Son, one divine nature shared between them. So to see the man Jesus walking around, Jesus says, if you see me, if you believe in me, you're seeing, you're believing in the Father. More to hear Jesus speak was to hear the Father speak. Because as the incarnate Son, He speaks the words God had given Him to say. Now, I'm going to read a bunch of verses, verse 47 to 50, and I want you to notice this connection between the words of Jesus and the words of God. Listen to this. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Note that for later. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that His command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say." Now, what's the point there? Well, God was working in and through the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus, by the coming of the Son, the Father was making Himself known to the world, saying, here I am in the person of my Son. This is me, God, revealing myself to you. The words Jesus spoke are the words of the Father. So, to believe those was to, to believe God. God was present and active throughout these entire three years of Jesus' ministry, revealing His glory to the world, which meant, I think the point of this summary speech of Jesus, right here at the end of His ministry, The point here is, Jesus is saying, if you believe Me, you believe in the One who sent Me, but to reject Me, is to reject the One who sent Me, is to reject God. Now, you can't miss the hugeness of this claim. This is a claim which sets Jesus apart from everyone else on earth. You know, you can decide who your friends are going to be, you can go, ah, I don't like that guy, I'm not going to hang out with him. To do that with Jesus is not like doing that with any other person. You should be a nice person, by the way, you shouldn't do that. um, to, To ignore Muhammad, to ignore the Buddha, to ignore the Dalai Lama, you're just ignoring another person, doesn't really matter. To ignore Jesus, the point here, is you're ignoring God. He's not just a prophet, He's not just a spiritual guru, He's God in the flesh come to reveal the Father for three years, by His words, by His powerful signs, revealing the glory of God to the world. Did you catch this as we had it read? In verse 41, Isaiah, uh, John has recounted a, a quote for us from Isaiah, Isaiah 6, and in this part of Isaiah, Which was written 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah had a vision of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, and he sees this vision of God and he says, holy, 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 the whole world is full of God's glory. And verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about Him. Now, how can this be? That when Isaiah 700 years earlier, having a vision of God was seeing Jesus' glory? because Jesus is God the Son. God was in and through the ministry of Jesus, which means how you respond to Jesus is how you respond to God. I remember as a teenager, I didn't grow up a Christian. I came to Christ at, when it was 9 EV, uh, at 19. but I had this sense in me that um, Jesus somehow is important somehow to God and he was, a good, he was at least a nice dude. He healed people, right? That was kind of, and that's where it ended. But I had friends who would say Jesus Christ as a swear word, right? But I had this conscience that said, you, you probably shouldn't pay him out for some reason. And so whenever they would say his name like that in vain, Jesus Christ, I would say, was a good dude, and try and make light of the situation. Now, that... Good intentions, but man, I had no idea who I was speaking about. I was just treating him like he was a good dude who you should respect. But I had no idea that I was dealing there with my God, the God who made me and the world and everything in it. I had no idea. How could I have thought so little of God? So Jesus does this for three years, He's revealing God, He's revealing His glory, He's doing signs, He's speaking, to see Him was to see God and so how did it go? How was His ministry? If this was a, a job um, review, how did, how did Jesus do as a, a revealer of God? Well, how did the crowds respond after three years of doing this? Verse 37, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. Now, how could that possibly be? How could it possibly be that Jesus came doing this for three years, really doing these things, and no one believed in Him? Well, this is where the answer, this is where this passage kind of gets spicy. that's the wrong word, deep and weighty and (laughs) mind-bending. And here's where we kind of move to part two, where we see God's deliberate action, not only in the life and ministry of Jesus, but God's deliberate action in the death of Jesus, such that it was God who preordained Jesus' rejection and crucifixion. So, verse 37... Why do they not believe? Well, even after he'd performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Why? This was to fulfil the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, catch this. For this reason, because they wouldn't believe, for this, re- for this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. It was God behind Jesus' rejection. When the crowds responded to Jesus the way they did, it was to, verse 38, it was to fulfil prophecy in the first instance, where that quote from Isaiah 53 700 years earlier, the prophecy came about a servant king who would come and lay down his life in the place of sinners, as a substitute, to redeem a people back to God and in the context of that, who's going to believe this message? No one. Verse 37, they still would not believe. But it's not just that they would not believe, did you catch that in 39? For this reason, they could not believe. He, hardened, he blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. God blinded their eyes so that they could not believe, so that they would reject Jesus. God hardened their hearts so that they would reject Jesus. It was God behind Jesus' rejection. Now, you've got to be careful here, you, can't, you never read one bit of the Bible in isolation, you've got to read it together. This page comes after this page and the Bible, those 66 books, is one book, one revelation of this message about Jesus from God and so we need to be careful here. But what we find out and as we look closely, we find that this is not to say that these people were innocent bystanders, that they desperately wanted to believe in Jesus' glory and as they encountered the signs, they wanted to and and God was, was coercing them against their will to reject Him. No, that's not what was going on, they weren't coerced. But God was sovereignly working through sinners to confirm sinners in their sin. And so, some have called this part a judicial hardening, a judgment hardening, where God's judging them for their sin and handing them over to it more and, one, more, and more, Romans 1 style, He hands them over taking those who are blind, by nature, yes, but by choice, and confirming them in their blindness, snatching the light further, which Jesus was bringing. And now, this is not to say as well that these people were just mere puppets, that God was just playing with them like dolls and toys and that they couldn't do anything. No, they had real decision-making faculties, they had real, uh, real will, they, they were still responsible But such is God's divine power and sovereignty that He can predetermine events, He can work in and through His creatures in such a way that upholds their genuine nature and their genuine decision-making faculty and yet be sovereign over all of it. And so, verse, we've got to read it in context, verse 36, the verse just before it, Jesus implores them to believe in Him, he implores them to believe because it is genuinely their responsibility to believe in him, to make that decision to do so. And yet, such is the divine sovereignty of God that God can be sovereignly over and in and through, and we can still have genuine decision making. Now, there actually are some who did believe. We see this in verse 42. There were some who weren't part of this first mob, who did believe in Him, but uh, so shallow was their belief that at the first sign of trouble, it gets snuffed out. So, verse 42, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise that comes from God. More literally, they love the glory of man rather than the glory of God. Now, can you relate to that, that fear? Have you had moments like that where you've been confronted as the Christian and it's been easier to fear them rather than the God who's unseen? And so you shrink. Can you relate to that? Well, these people, the one, even the ones who did believe to some degree in Jesus... Even they would not confess it openly. And so, where's Jesus' ministry end? It finishes in Him being utterly rejected. Now, I want to ask you guys a question, which I think is going to be a way to help us pull this all together, and the question is this, uh, are you surprised by their unbelief? As you think about this, that that Jesus comes, the Son of God comes, revealing God in His powerful, miraculous signs, in His words, in all that He does, in His character and as God comes doing that in the person of Jesus, are you surprised that people rejected Him or are you not surprised? You think, yeah, from what I understand about people, that makes perfect sense, that when God comes, we... Now, the, the, the thing is, the Bible won't let you go, it's not surprising because God was just sovereignly over in control of it and so He just did what He wanted to do, so they're not responsible. The Bible won't let you do that. Verse 36, believe in the light, Jesus says, you have responsibility, make decisions. So, the Bible won't let you do that and so knowing that, does it surprise you that when God comes to earth as a man, we reject Him or does it not surprise you? Now, I think this is a bit of a litmus test about what you think about humanity. You know, three years of extraordinary miracles, of healing the sick, feeding the multitudes, raising the dead, water into wine, and everyone kind of goes, nut. Nah. Because even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. Surprising, unsurprising. You might think that if God were to come among us, we'd listen that if God came into the room tonight, as a man, God in the flesh, you might think that to hear Him speak, we'd all listen to Him. We'd hear, and because of, you know, our, what we're like, and we, we like what's good, I'm talk, when I say we right now, I'm talking about humanity, okay? Um, we, are gen, um, we are good, basically, and so um, when God comes and He speaks to us, surely that just rings true. You know, it's, it's honey, on my, it's, it's, it's beautiful, I, under, I hear that and I go, oh, this is what I've been longing for. Finally, the voice of reason, it's beautiful and true and good and, oh, wonderful. You might think that that would, would be what it would be like when God comes. You might think that if God were to come and perform all these miracles in front of us, we would see it, we'd see this amazing demonstration of glory and we would just be glued and we'd go, oh... You're, it's God, it's God in the flesh, I'm with you, I'll go wherever you go. You might think that that would be the case, so that we would believe in Him, we'd believe and we'd follow Him. we'd trust and we'd come to know Him and, is that what you expect? Is that what we should expect? Well, not if we've read the rest of the Bible, not if we've read the rest of the Old Testament that's led to this moment. What we should expect is exactly what happened. The Son of God comes, I mean it's helpful that we had Isaiah 53, it told us it was going to happen 700 years earlier, but the Son of God comes, He speaks the very words of God, to see Him was to see God, He performs signs to reveal His goodness and glory to us and He's met with unbelief and rejection and they're going to nail Him to a cross to get rid of Him. That's what's to be expected, because we are, by nature, out of sync with God, and by our choices, out of sync with God. Our eyes, humanity, our eyes are blind, they are blind. Our hearts, they are hard. We do love the glory of man, we fear man who we see before us, rather than the God of all things, of life. We fear the praise of man, we want the praise of men rather than the praise that comes from God. And yes, God was sovereignly over the Jews' rejection and unbelief, He's sovereign, but sovereign over genuine, willing agents who chose darkness over light. Now friends, there is a great lesson for us here and a great warning to us. Have you seen those, the, the warning is, beware your own heart. Beware your own spiritual wisdom and insight. Have you seen those billboards on the freeway that say, don't trust your tired self? Don't trust your spiritual self. Don't trust your own heart. Now, the work uh, of God in a Christian's heart is different. The Spirit has come to give us new spiritual instincts. He, He works to renew us, to train us, to look to Jesus, to believe, to love, to walk by faith... But man, do we need renewing? <laughs> That's a work that we desperately need. Because as we are, when the Son of God comes among us, his miracles are not enough. Despite all the signs revealing his glory, they weren't enough to open blind eyes. All his preaching wasn't enough. Verse 49 He came not speaking on his own, but speaking the words the Father gave him. But even the words that the Father, even the words of God, weren't enough. They weren't enough to change hard hearts. Such is our spiritual darkness, in and of ourselves, humanity. The light comes into the world and we, we, we try and block it and we get away and we hide in a dark corner. And so... Uh, if God is going to bring us to know Him and to be with Him and to believe in Him, what's the thing we're going to need? That's the thing we asked start, uh, the, at the start of tonight. What does God need to do, what do we need that God might be clear to us? What we've seen is, we, we don't need some grand, miraculous event from heaven. That That's not what's going to make us believe. Seeing is not believing when it comes to us. Jesus did all that and He ended His ministry alone, on a cross, bleeding and naked and betrayed. So, what did we need in order for God to be clear to us, for us to believe in Him, to come to Him, to trust in Him? What we needed was not some big, miraculous revelation but for the Son of God to die. What we needed was Jesus the Son to come and be rejected, to, go so, to be rejected so that He might go to the cross and on the cross deal with our sinfulness, pay for our sinfulness which keeps us from God, our broken nature which rejects God, our blindness, our hardness of heart, that's what we needed not just some big announcement from the sky and then everyone would just believe it's really that simple, no! What we needed was our problem of sin to be dealt with, our problem of sin that makes us push God away and then for Him to sovereignly draw us to Him, to give us faith, to trust in the One who came and died through the testimony of the Word. Why hasn't God made Himself clearer to us? The problem's not in God, the problem's not in what God's done and how He's worked, He's he's done all those things in Jesus, the problem is in us. But God has met our need, He has done exactly what we needed Him to do, He didn't just yell at us from the sky, believe in me, come on! He's done exactly what we needed to do, He's caused, sovereignly caused, His Son to be rejected, and cursed on a cross, hardening the hearts of those around Him to conspire with the, the members of Jesus, Judas, but then with the Romans and to arrest Him in the night and to hold a phony trial so that we might crucify the innocent one, God, sovereignly over that, sending His Son to the cross, that He might deal with our hardness of heart that refuses to come to Him otherwise. God has done all we needed Him to do. Let me try and illustrate this for you and let me see if this works. This is a parenting illustration. I'm sorry, it's the only one I could think of. But heads up, um, parenting illustration, but we've all been kids and so hopefully we can all relate to this. Um, yet, how do you stop siblings fighting with each other? I really need to know actually. So if you, <laughs> um, how do you stop kids fighting with each other? Uh, Now, imagine this scenario. Imagine you're walking through Erin' Affair and you've got two little kids with you. And you're walking along and the kids uh, are behind you and they're chatting and it's all fun and games and then suddenly one of them smashes the other one in the face. Um, And you turn around and one of them's crying and it's awful and the other one's standing like this. And and then you see another person coming, walking toward you and uh, they look at you And they look at you with this look that says, do you know what just happened? Why didn't you do something to stop your kid from whacking the other one in your face? Don't you know that it's not good for a kid to hit another kid in the face? Haven't you made that clear to your four-year-old? What's wrong with you? You must be a terrible parent. Now, imagine that they don't only give you that look, but they say all that to you. What would you be thinking? How would you respond to that? You'd say, "Of course, I've told them not to smash each other in the face. I've told them not to hit each other a thousand times. It's not like I've been unclear. I'm very clear every day. Don't whack your brother in the face or sister. Um, Keep kids out of it." Uh, What? What's the problem? It's not that the parents been unclear. It's that the kids have a heart problem. The kids are immature and need to grow up. At the moment, they're driven by impulse and want. And that had my thing, and I wanted it, and so I just. And that's just who they are by nature. That's what they're like. They need a heart change. They need to grow up. They need softening. They need to um, be softened themselves, so that they learn to be soft to others. And they need a heart of patience and kindness. I've told them not to do it a thousand times but I can't change their hearts. God wants us to know Him, He wants us to know Him and to enjoy Him as our Father and to live with his, for His glory and enjoy Him forever but a booming voice from heaven or a miracle on the dusty street is not what's going to bring that about. What we need is a heart change, what we needed was the Son of God to die, to deal with our sin, to nail our sin to the cross, to pay for the penalty so that we could come to God and to deal with its power that has a hold on us, that keeps us loving the darkness rather than the light. That's what we needed and so God has done exactly what we needed for us, sending His Son to the cross that our, all of that would be dealt with in Jesus so that in Jesus, now having all that sin dealt with, we might be drawn to God by His Spirit, that we might respond rightly to the Word, that we might, as we read the words of the book, the, this, this beautiful book, as we read these words and hear God speak to us of His Son, He might move in us and change our hearts, because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done so that that could happen. Our God has done everything that we needed, He's done everything needed to rescue needy sinners like you and me. Is this how you think about God? I'm almost done. Is this how you think about God's plan for salvation? That it's this way. That's the right way. That what we needed was this way to happen, that God's work to bring him to bring us to him this way through the death of Jesus that that's the wisdom and the grace of God on display? Or, have you been thinking too highly of humans? Maybe quietly, maybe um, you haven't realised that, as you've thought, maybe God should just do something, you know, from the sky, or why doesn't He make it easier? Or, have you been underestimating our own brokenness and underestimating God's almighty, incredible wisdom and goodness and grace. If God would just show Himself then I'd believe, no He wouldn't, no He wouldn't. Jesus did reveal God, the one who looks at me is looking at the Father. What the Bible's saying is the problem's not in God, the problem's in us and God is so gracious and kind, He's done everything that we needed to bring us back into relationship with Him. God is wise and gracious and good and In His sovereign power and wisdom, He devises the perfect solution to our problem and is sovereignly powerful enough to pull it off, such that we can, look at all you crew, you can come and sit here as believers in Jesus because your sin's been dealt with. The penalty paid, the power broken and by the Spirit's work drawing you to believe, you have had hearts that have been changed, such as the goodness and power and wisdom and grace of our God. Rejoice, in our in the goodness and grace and wisdom of our God. He is kind and good and I just want to keep saying it. The sovereignty of God, let the sovereignty of God in salvation give you confidence because that God is sovereign means He could bring about our salvation. That God is sovereign means He can bring your friend, your family members, your neighbour to know Jesus. He's done what was necessary because He was sovereignly powerful. He's the one who's powerful enough to give us faith. If you're still distant from God, thinking God should have done more, uh, do you want to see God at work? Do you want to have God revealed to you? Do you want to hear His voice? Well, keep reading the Scriptures, keep looking to Jesus, that you might believe in Him, God's one and only Son who came and lived and demonstrated that He is the Messiah, He is the Son of God, but He's the God of the cross, that's where His glory is to be seen in its most true. And so I would con- just encourage you to keep coming along, keep reading the Bible, come to the Life Series, keep thinking about the Bible, keep investigating. Our God is kind and gracious and has done everything we need that we might know Him and trust Him and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are wise, you are gracious, and you are almighty and sovereign, you're powerful, and in your divine goodness, you have acted in such a way to bring sinners back to you in uh, in a way that floors us, uh, in a way that none of us could have devised, uh, and yet you are, uh, you have perfectly met our need in the coming of Your Son, to die in the place of sinners. Please continue to fill us with uh, joy in Your work in us, fill us with confidence in the mighty work that You have done in Christ, to bring sinners back to Yourself and give us boldness to speak to others, knowing that You have done everything that's necessary, that Your plans are wise and so may we never shrink back from our faith, from speaking and trust that You, the Sovereign God, are a God who saves and loves to save and so speak with confidence, prayerfully depending on You, to bring our friends and family and neighbours to Christ. In His name we pray, Amen.